Killing is lovemaking in its purest form. Does that shock you, Dr. Welsh? Negative attention is still attention. Yeah. To an attention-seeking child. Um, bad research is still, still research, research for it... someone looking for a conclusion. <laughs> okay. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a Forever Night episode. Hopefully I sound a little better this time. I feel a little better. I guess we need to clear the air because last time I didn't say near death. I said near dark, which several of you pointed out. So thank you very much. I was um, in a seasonal cold, seasonal allergy death spiral. And apparently alternating Matt... day quill, night quill, day quill, night quill, day quill. <laughs> and Zyrtec. And, and so Matt didn't catch it. I didn't catch it. But in my defense... It is still subject relevant because Near Dark is a very excellent vampire movie, which you should all go check out if you haven't seen it already. It's a 1980s, I think it comes out the same year as Lost Boys, and it stars Lance Henriksen, Bill The Paxton, Cowboy Western vampire movie? One might say the entire cast of Aliens, except Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Just transposed into a vampire movie where they never say the word vampire. And it has one of my favorite vampire scenes ever, which is the bar scene. And if you have seen Near Dark, you're going, yes, the bar scene. And if you haven't seen Near Dark, go forth and watch it. So consider that a subtle way of getting you guys to watch an excellent vampire movie. That's how I'm going to frame this. Accidental content generation. Exactly. See, and then you can go listen to our episode on Near Dark, which we did with um, Cradle to the Grave podcast as a collaboration. So there's all kinds of good things there. Uh, with my little hopped up on Dayquil mind slip. Of the slip. Yeah. Yes. Well, so, anyway, this episode. Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to, you know, get that out of the way. I also wanted to mention, if anybody is on the hunt for the next good vampire series that they want to watch, and you're looking to dip your toe into the K-drama scene, there is a Korean drama airing on Amazon right now called Heartbeat. And it's really cute and really funny and vampire-related because the main character is a vampire. So if you're looking for something fun, and I would say... A campiness, even, a even campiness better, on level It's a with vampire me. seeking to be human again. Yes, it's a vampire trying to be human. And I would say camp level is on par with Forever Night. So if you're looking for a slightly less serious, funny vampire wants to be human drama, that's a good one. It'll only have 16 episodes. I think we're aired up to episode nine. It comes out every Monday. So. You can listen to our podcast, and then you can go watch a new episode. Two episodes a week, one on Monday, one on Tuesday. All right, all right, now we're, we're going to get into it now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Oh. Welcome to... Which one do I say? Welcome to or this is? You've been saying... This is 81, coming 81 kilo. How come it didn't show up on You mine? pushed the wrong button. <laughs> you pushed the blue button, not the green button. <laughs> okay. All right. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Come in, 81 kilo. 
a forever night podcast. <laughs> Thank you, honey. All right. So this is season two, episode 12. God damn it. <laughs> I just put episode 13, <laughs> season two, episode 13, crazy love. Or as Matt said, cozy love. And I thought, <laughs> dang it, we should introduce it as cozy love. So last week would be near dark and this one would be cozy love. <laughs> Hello, um, What's the... Uh... We'll be like that other podcast that only covered like four episodes of Forever Night and they completely made one up. Did I ever show you that one? Well, you wouldn't have known, but they made one up. I think they read a... I don't know what happened. It was one they called like Man of God. They're like, there's an episode called Man of God where we find out they can't get it up or something if they don't bite somebody. And I thought, what on earth? Why would you cover a subject material about which you have no knowledge? <laughs> the misspeaking the title of the episode mm. and getting such a... Um, nice reaction from the community. <laughs> yes. uh, reminds me of Cunningham's Law, mm -hmm. which is the best way to get the right answer on the internet is not to ask a question. It is to post the wrong answer. Because <laughs> yeah, people are more willing to argue with you than they are to help they're, you. They're more willing to correct a wrong answer than they are to answer the question in the first place. So well, I've seen people on Reddit yeah. say, yeah, I have two Reddit accounts, and whenever I need a question asked, like, right away, like, in detail, yeah. I will post the question, and then I'll switch to my other account and post a wrong answer, ah. and I get a lot more answers very quickly. That's it. I mean, hey, psychology works. This entire episode is about psychology, in fact. Look at that segue. Oh, you are welcome. There are so many psychologisms in this episode. I saw it was going to be crazy love, and I was like, Matt, you're going to like this episode. So I was really, I, wrong? I really did like the opening line. <laughs> you did. You, <laughs> you sent it out on the Discord. <laughs> Great opening line for this week's episode. Killing. Killing is lovemaking in its purest form. Wow. Wow. Just right off the gate. They were like, you know what? Maybe this this guy? Yeah. Ooh. Great actor. Peter Barlow. That's not they had That's they the had name. so many just like full front, like centered shots yeah. on his face, close up. Because we got a new close up camera. And he's like full emoting. Yeah, he is. He's given off. All the serial killer vibes. It's great. <laughs> incel, I would say. It's like an incel serial killer. He's um older Andrew Tate. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the part where they're like, oh, the only thing a woman has to do is look at him and they think he thinks it's a sexual advance. I was like, oh yeah, I know guys like that. Yeah. That that's happened. I I met someone at work like that. Oh. Yeah. Let's not <laughs> out anybody. Who isn't convicted of anything yet. <laughs> so we open on a like Silence of the Lamb style interview where this Dr. Shauna Welsh is interviewing Peter Barlow. And Peter Barlow is our MacGuffin, our red herring. Yeah. Our look over here, character of the episode. Yeah. He's our wild goose chase. Yeah. He's our wild goose. That's a good one. Yeah. He's our wild goose chase. So we get introduced to him immediately because it's like, 
fisheye lens close up on his face and he's like, killing is lovemaking in its purest form. <laughs> and he he is delivering all of these just totally over the top lines, straight face. Yeah. And if I had a deck of cards based on Forever Night and it was articles of clothing. All right. So, <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> Follow me. I have no, 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 no idea where you're going with this, but I'm here Is, to listen. Isn't it nice to have a little mystery in your life? All right. So, if we're talking suits, like, is, right. is this a merch idea? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Let's listen. Okay. Listen. So, we have the jack, which is the purple members only jacket. And then above that, for our queen position, we have the very 90s vest trend that Nick has bought into wholesale. And then I would like to raise you and say that in the king position is Shauna Welsh's collar. <laughs> <laughs> it is the most, I have pictures of me as a child from this time period, and I have the same collar, the like square collar, the almost pilgrim style collar, yeah. where it looked like you had a towel over your around your neck. And it was squared off at the bottom. And she has it on top of like a dark dress with the dropped 90s Just to waist. increase the contrast. It is the most 90s outfit. And so it doesn't translate, right? Nobody brought back the dropped waist. You don't know what I'm talking about at all. But it used to be a trend to have like your dress went past your hips and then you would flare out like what really low. I don't know. It was a thing. Fashion. Fashion. But anyway, Who I just knows? thank you for taking me, going with me on that ride. Someday we'll figure out what goes to the ace. Maybe it's um, LaCroix's uh, sword neck pin. That just trumps everything. If you get the sword neck pin, you win the game. Yeah. Yeah. So we're having a back and forth conversation with Peter Barlow and Shauna, Dr. Shauna Welsh. And it's a very heavy laden with innuendo conversation which really sets the tone for the entire episode because the entire episode is one giant fucking innuendo or just outright talking about sex yeah uh, yeah. yeah not even yeah. implications yeah sometimes it's... we beat around the bush sometimes we just go straight for the bush if you know what i'm talking about <laughs> wink wink nudge, wink nudge. wink nudge nudge uh yeah and he's like you're so my type, Dr. Welsh. Am I turning you on right now? I'm so into bondage. And he holds up his shackled hands. <laughs> I wrote in my notes here, her collar. So there you go, see. And uh, this is where I said we're getting major incel vibes. And he's talking about how uh, I've never had any unsatisfied customers. I'm. They are always satisfied because I let them finish first. Meaning he kills them. Yeah. Obviously, because we're, we are conflating death and possession and sexual violence all in one neat, gross little package. Yeah. They even mentioned the French phrase, the little death. Right. And I really expect this to be where we cut to the credits, but this open credit scene feels super long. It is long. It, yeah. felt, it was so long because then we cut to Shauna Welsh at her desk talking about how He's legally sane, um, but he can stand trial, but he should never be released back into public because if there is such a thing as a human monster, Peter is one. And we're interspersing this, this statement that she's making with him getting back to his room, 
Well, he attacks a woman in the hallway. And then he gets back to his room and he pulls out his an envelope. And it There's has an envelope under his mattress. Yeah, and it has an outfit, a key, and a badge in it. So we don't bury the lead at all that he was helped getting out. It's just right. like, all right, he got help getting out. Who helped him? I guess is the mystery of the of the whole episode. And we even we go further. We don't even stop with him pulling out the envelope and getting Yes, the intro any of the keeps stuff. going. We immediately cut to him walking out of the building and I thought, "Wow, he got out fast." Yeah. I thought it was going to be like, "Hey, here's a hint. He's going to escape and then we're going to cut to like Nick and Skanky. Serial killers escaped from the psychiatric institution." Right. No. We go to him getting nope. out. We go to him wandering the grounds. He picks some flowers. He has a conversation. He goes, I'm just kidding. He goes straight over to the gardener. He pulls out some shears. And then he looks over and he has like an eyebrow conversation with a girl sitting on a bench. And then, boop, we're done. That's the end of the intro. That is the intro. Bottom, bottom. Like, wow. We went on a whole journey. We set up Peter Barlow completely before we even started the opening credits. And as much as I loved this episode, I'm not sure it wouldn't have been helped by hiding some of that information from us. Right. Like eking that out a little bit better. Like maybe just leave it with him finding the envelope or with him finding the contents of the envelope. Maybe not going all the way through. Like he got the envelope. He got dressed. He went outside. He picked up some shears. He saw the lady on the bench. Right. We could have had like an eyewitness account of... Someone seeing him walk out of the building and grab the shears. Yeah, or we could have watched him walk out on the security camera because, of course, we come back. Oh, yeah. And we have better serious security cameras than some security cameras that I've seen today because <laughs> it's like it's like a straight-up film camera hanging in the corner because it's so high definition. But after we come back from the intro, we're at the crime scene. And this is Natalie and Skanky at the crime scene investigating and as they're walking away, Nick pulls up. Like, Nick has just arrived at the crime scene. And we get a little bit of a flashback to season one skanky. But it's not so much that oh, it's season skanky. one skanky as it is the language that we used to talk about mental health in the 90s. Or the language that was acceptable to be used. Because he's like... Yeah, you know, she she was here. She was in the bug house. She was two parts of a comedy team. She was... He has a whole bunch of euphemisms. And then he calls her a schizo. Get this to Artie and Forensics. Hey, Nick. Patient or staff? I think inmate is probably closer. Her name's Whitney David. Doubleheader, twin bill. Both halves of a comedy team. A schizo. All right. She was committed here for treatment by... This her is the... The Whitney David, the victim who was killed, he calls her a schizo. And then he says, actually, I don't want to go to the Laurier, Laurier, Laurier clinic yeah. because I'm afraid of the shrinks. It's, um. Wow, skanky. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, when you heard this even maybe 10 years ago, it would not have had the same kind of, oof, that's not, that's not a good, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it like that. Right. You know, this person is just a person who is suffering from some kind of chemical imbalance. Or as Natalie calls it, they are emotionally disturbed. She has another word for um, it. She's like, they're emotionally not... challenged. She says they're not crazy. They're emotionally challenged. I guess that was an attempt at 
softening the yeah. the narrative. I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. It happened. It's one of those th- places where we have to put our context lenses on, and then when you're done, take them off. And don't use that language when you talk about people who right. have mental health right. concerns. You can appreciate the story in situ and learn something from it at the same time. I think we're two halves of a comedy team. Duh. I was waiting for you to be like, we're not funny. (laughs) Uh, We're We're, hilarious. We're a little bit funny. All right. Anyway, so it's the same MO as Barlow. That's what Natalie says. She's like, I worked on all the other victims. This looks exactly like something Barlow would do. Um, I'm pretty sure it was him. He's on a rampage. He's got to be stopped. And Nick is like, okay, well, let's figure out how we got out of here. Maybe that'll help us find him. So he heads up to the clinic, which I think Skanky never actually talks to any of the doctors. Only Nick talks to the doctors, which probably turns out to be a good thing because every time he has a conversation with Shauna Welsh, he is um, stirred up. How do you? How do we want to phrase? This? Oh, he gets he gets uh, provoked. <laughs> provoked. Uh, That's a good one. Stirred up. She she provokes a response deep inside him. Yes, he has. He's getting riled up. He has real hard feelings about what she says to him. It's. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know this. Ep- Every time I know this episode is coming. Ugh. <laughs> I can't. I'm sorry. This is like when you were on the playground as a kid, and every time you said do it, somebody go, <laughs> you said do it. The sexual overtones in this episode are so heavy. We're just going to have to lean into it. I apologize in advance. And what's better for the whole tension is that only Nick knows what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Jeanette. And Jeanette. Yeah. Everyone yeah. else is investigating a murder. Yeah. So Nick's walking around like barely even noticing anything because he's so riled up. Horny. He's yes. so horny. And everyone's <laughs> trying to talk to him. And he's like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little yep. preoccupied. But, got, you know um, what? Actually, could I get 15 minutes alone? Just like, I just need a minute, okay? So I can just, you know, release some tension, one might say, and then I could go back to this. <laughs> so then, uh, isn't this where he, like, pulls out his phone? And I'm like, he's... Not I, yet. Not yet. He has uh, to go talk to Dr. Welsh, because he heads into the hospital to talk to Dr. Welsh, and we see a painting, and it's a painting of Bedlam. Oh, yeah. And we're scanning across this painting. <laughs> I thought, got- that's an interesting... <laughs> Interesting painting. We got to the far end of it, and Matt goes, "Is the claw in that painting?" <laughs> there, there's someone like stretched out on their side, laying on the floor, <laughs> and from the we're zoomed in, panning across it, and then yeah. we z- move out of it, and from the like far position, it really looks like uh, Lacroix's profile for the half naked guy laying on the ground. I love that at this point, we believe in LaCroix's deviousness so much. We believe he would be in a painting of Bedlam simply to insert himself in this part of Nick's life. Yeah. Like he had himself painted into a bunch of famous paintings. So Nick literally can't even enjoy going and looking at the Because <laughs> LaCroix just, do your duty, Nicholas, in every single painting. <laughs> But it's a bedlam painting, which even Nick makes a comment. And he's like, "Yeah, interesting, um, interesting, interesting choice. choice." And she's like, "Yeah, it's bedlam. I, I put it up there to remind me of how far we've come." And Nick is like, "Yeah, it was an awful place." 
Or so I've read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know he was in Bedlam. Probably checked himself in. But he has a brief conversation with Dr. Welsh. Welsh. Why can I not remember her name? Shauna. With Shauna about this. This whole Peter Barlow thing. And she's like, you know, he's the most dangerous mind I've ever met. He was here because he needed psychiatric evaluation before his appeal. And I was just giving my opinion on his mental health. And, you know, this is all terrible. I keep telling them we need more security. Why would you send this guy here if there was not great security? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on the table. It was That was a choice. A choice hold, was made. Hold on. You're calling out this plot hole amongst... <laughs> Yeah. The seasons of Forever Night. No, we call out plot holes as we see them, okay? All right. All right. Some plot holes are like potholes. You can drive around them and, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't even feel the bump. And some of them you can't avoid, okay? So we talk about the ones you can't avoid. But my favorite part of this scene is she's talking about how killing is like possession and you know, killing and sex and possession are all kind of intrinsically linked in Peter Barlow's mind. And why wouldn't they? Because sex is possession. And it just goes on and on. And it, the camera's like zooming in slowly, like in fits and starts into Nick's face. And then we're flashing between Nick's face and the flashback, which is one of my favorite flashbacks because I... Nick's outfit is so... First of all, we don't have a mullet for once. So thank the vampire fucking gods we don't have a mullet in this flashback. He's finally allowed to have natural, like, normal-looking hair. And he has this velvet coat on, which he apparently could not afford buttons because it's not buttoned, like, the entire time. <laughs> for the chest hair. And then we got to the... We finally cut back and forth enough times. He completely falls into this memory. And Matt saw this woman's dress and he goes, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I had something prepared to say and uh, it was gone for a moment. Yeah, it just won't right out of your right out of your head because her dress is like so low cut, and it's structured. So every time she breathes, the mo the dress doesn't move. The dress the dress is like a sculpture, right. and inside her chest is literally heaving up and down inside this dress. It's very attention grabbing. It fits the theme. Let's put it that yes. way. It if, fits the theme. if she's trying to seduce Nick, and that's. A good outfit to wear. Yeah, and luckily, it leaves a lot of neck exposed so that we can hey. tell Nick's been visiting her for a while, which I have mentioned several times in previous episodes. visiting Nick. I have mentioned this flashback in previous episodes because okay. every time you ask me if they can bite people and, and have just... Them and have vampire. them not turn into a And have them not turn to a vampire, I'm like, Or a well, zombie. Or a zombie. I'm like, well, we are going to see that he can. Well, here you go. You're seeing right now, it is possible with enough control to come back and visit the same person more than once. And as he's having this flashback, he then comes back out of this flashback. And Dr. Shauna is like, yeah, you know, possession, sex, sex, possession, death, dying, killing. And he's like, oh, stop, stop. It's too much for me. <laughs> Sorry. So then he he's like he walks out taking life's essence. That's what she said. She goes, "There's a moment when the light flickers out 
in their eyes. And that's how Peter Barlow said he knows that the transfer of essence has been completed. And, you know, he believes that by killing them, he's taking their life into himself. And Nick's just like, like heavy breathing over in the corner. And for a psychologist, psychiatrist, psychologist, Psychologist. Psychologist. She is very unperceptive about... Uh, she, she can prescribe medication, so she's probably a psychiatrist. Well, she's not being very perceptive because Nick is very clearly um, stirred up about this whole process. And we kind of end their interview there. He's like, okay, well, I got to go. I got to go now. So thank <laughs> so you so much for this He pulls out his phone and I say, oh, he's got to call his therapist. Yeah. And Rachel's like... Well, he doesn't have a therapist. I said, yeah, Jeanette. <laughs> and then and then his phone's like, Raven. Raven. <laughs> We're not quite, because then we go to the murder at the restaurant. I know you want to get to when he finally gets with Jeanette, which you've been waiting for for the last Whatever. like 36 episodes. But we're going to get there, okay? Just like some things, you have to take your time and go I slow. I thought this was when he called his therapist. I'm teasing you. Okay. Will you listen to me? I'm trying to make a sex joke. <sighs> you're too stirred up over there. Anyway, this is the murder at the restaurant because it turns out that Peter Barlow is not done, which of course we knew, but I think this is one of the few episodes where we actually have an active killer. I'm not sure we have been chasing an active killer since like dead air. Unless you want to count um, Love You to Death where she was kidnapped and imprisoned. Uh, there was the guy that was... Um... Or I guess not Guy, the, the hunter. Oh, yeah, there was the hunter. Yeah. But this is like a, I mean, this is a serial killer on the loose. Like, they caught the serial killer. Is, is the hunter not a serial killer on the yes, loose? Yes, but she was only the hunter. Renta Ann Foley? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess. But this is like a, oh, yeah. I can't reason my way out of that one. I'm sorry. Yes, we have had another active. We rarely do, though. The, right. The vast majority it's of the rare. times, we yes. are solving one crime. And this is one where we don't, we're not solving a crime necessarily. We're catching a guy we already know is a bad guy. And then we're also kind of solving a crime because things don't add up correctly. But eh. I mean, it, it's an example of, it's a good, it's a good procedural drama that we're doing right now because we definitely believe it's all going to go one way and then we get some twisty turnies, which is kind of yeah. nice. But we have a murder at the restaurant and she turns on the answering machine. That's my favorite part of this. Because it's a little rotary phone with an answering machine attached to it. And she turns the answering machine on, so it'll answer the phone, which is cute. It used to be separate. I don't know. I don't know. How old are you? <laughs> Listener, how old are you? Did you know these two things used to not be connected? We used to have captioning machines, too. I had a brief conversation with somebody on Instagram this week about subtitles. And uh, my sister is profoundly deaf. So we always had subtitles in the house. And... We had a separate box. We had like six things on top of the TV. We had like the cable box, the captioning box, and the VCR. And you had to turn them all on to turn the before you turn the TV on. And it wasn't until the ADA, 1993, that caption machines are built into TVs. That's a brief history lesson for everybody. We have another insensitive moment from Skanky in the restaurant. And I'm sure there will be more to come. Well, it's because we're covering a topic that is rife with a lot of language that has evolved. It's like the idea of homeless. Well, it used to be a homeless person 
Well, that's not necessarily true. And then you're a person experiencing homelessness, which is true. And now another term that's popped up is unhoused. So a lot of diff- a lot of things, sensitivity speaking, evolve over time. And you read a good thing about that where it's like when the word itself becomes ubiquitous. So th- yeah, the the idea is the medical or like counseling or administrative community makes a new term as a clinical definition that doesn't have a lot of like vernacular baggage at where the goal is to have to have this clinical term to help everybody maintain the right perspective when they're doing administrative and legal work. Yeah. But over time, the clinical term ends up becoming slang and it's a cycle. It's like a 15 to 20 year cycle. The clinical term becomes slang and then you have people starting to do the administrative legal jobs and now they have this bias. Yes. This unconscious bias about this clinical term because they've grown up with it as slang. And so they have to change the term to maintain just people working clinical in it to, distance. to maintain their um, their perspective and yeah. um, remove the slang bias. Vernacular baggage would be an awesome band name. Put it on a sticker. Vernacular baggage. Vernacular Sorry, but this baggage. term has vernacular baggage. Barlow's out to break some records, huh? Here we go again. Looks like Aaron Devon was a patient at the Laurier Mental Health Clinic. <laughs> he must have made some girlfriends in the loony bin. What? I'm not sure loony bin was ever a clinical <laughs> term. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, we, point stands. We, the we point can stands. we can defend Skanky up to a point, <laughs> and then there's the. And then there's just no, you, you're beyond the bounds. Of, it's like when yes. you've defended somebody like, okay, they, they didn't quite understand. They weren't trying to be mean, whatever. And like, it's like Skanky may have said some incentive things, but really he's trying to do a good job. He's a good cop. And then he comes in. Oh, how are things at the loony bin? Well, he said, and, I think, did, did he have many girlfriends at the loony bin? That's what he says. And then I can just see Nick having just well, Nick defended does. him. Nick goes. And Nick slaps his forehead. Because he says it. And then he looks at him for a really long time. And Skanky goes, what? <laughs> what did I say? And right. Nick goes, you know what? <sighs> okay. Well, you, I don't like how you said it. But I get where you were going. So I'm going to go try this from a different angle. He says, I'm going to go at which this is, from a different which angle. Which is a paraphrase for. I'm going to go around. <laughs> going around, Skanky. Guess what time it is. It's time for Nick to go around. So he's going to go around back. And Nick Skanky goes, all right. Like, okay, fine. Nick's going around. And so he runs back to go talk to um, Dr. Shauna. And this is where we find out that Aaron, who had just was our most recent victim, had just been made an outpatient under Dr. Silamon. Silamon? Silamon? Silman. Silman. Thank you. Suleiman, what's that from? Oh, um, Howl's Moving Castle. Castle. So Nick tells 
Dr. Shauna, like I need some help. I need a little bit of perspective. Can you can you do the thing where you talk oh, she, dirty to me again? She's like, oh, you need to get inside the mind do, of a killer. Do you need some uh, to get in someone's head? <laughs> He's like, can you talk dirty to me? Can you talk dirty to me again? And Dr. Sean is like, sit down. Let's have a conversation. Sit down and listen. And then she repeats herself, really. She's like, you know, it's about possession. It's about control. This is where she uses the term little dad. Everyone, and she just everyone up, seeks to fill a Fill gap. a void. Fill a, fill, a void. A, fill a gap or a void, yes. Um, some people, like platonic friendships is enough. And for some people, it's not. And they need more. Well, detective, all of us, you, me, and Barlow, we all have a desire to fill a need in our lives, to connect up intimately with another person. For some, a platonic relationship is sufficient. For others, the need is physical. 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 She straight up says orgasms are described as a small death because death and possession and sex are all intrinsically linked because there is a act of surrender or possession Where when you, you are physically with someone. Where you lose control of themselves. Yeah. And Nick is just like... Uh. <laughs> Back to heavy breathing. <laughs> this episode is simultaneously hysterical, interesting, and awkward all at the same time. Just want to put that out there. And then he has another flashback. He can't help it. It's like he's having a sex dream while he's listening to this woman talk. It's literally what is happening. Post-hypnotic su suggestion against a vampire. Because as far as we're concerned at this point... He is having sex with this woman, Amalia, in his flashback. And all we're seeing is him biting her. So we are led to believe that this act of of consuming her more than once is like a an act of vampire intimacy. We are literally witnessing him having sex with this woman. If you wanna if you wanna extrapolate it out to its furthest detail here. Because in a little bit we're gonna get some straight up vampire sex and it's the same thing. Just them biting each other. So this act of blood taking or exchange is apparently a sex act. So we are watching vampire porn every time he has a flashback. Um, now that you know that, I really hope everyone has a wonderful time re-watching this episode. And Shauna is continuing while Nick is, like, having this intimate flashback. And she's like, you know, he can't help himself. It's his curse. It's his addiction. Even if he wanted to stop, he couldn't. And Nick is like, oh, I feel that so hard. But this back and forth between Nick and Shauna... At the very end, where she's talking about, like, oh, it's his curse. And Nick's like, he can't help himself. And she's like, that's right. He can't. He has to keep going back over and over again. And he's like, it's just, he has to possess her. And Dr. Sean is like, yes, that's it. Exactly. And he's and like, the lust. The <laughs> lust. The, it's about lust. It's about attraction. It's about addiction. And Shauna is talking about Peter Barlow. Nick is not talking about Peter Barlow. Nick is talking about... Nick. 
kills to possess. He can't help himself. It's his curse, his addiction. Then you understand? Yes. It must be awful to have that desire, that, that emptiness that never gets filled. Yes. The aching hunger for physical contact? The lust. Yes, the lust. And knowing that nothing can satisfy it, and the only thing it can lead to is murder. Thank you for your help, Doctor. I don't know where to go from there, because honestly, uh, he's talking about like, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I, I have. So one of the major themes that pops up over and over and over again for vampires is that vampirism, the vampire act and hunger is a metaphor for sexual violence, for sexual assault, because often it's non-consensual. It involves, if you want to get as base as basic as possible, it involves penetration. It's a it's a act of taking from someone what they do not want to give you. Physically, it's an intimate act. You have to be close to do it. There's a lot of overtones of sexual violence. And it's one of my least favorite interpretations of the myth of vampirism. I just think that vampirism as a metaphor for being othered and for having to exist in a world that is not made for you is a far more interesting conversation. Right. Where you have different needs. Where you have different needs and you have to learn how to fulfill those without harming anyone. That is the conversation I enjoy. So this isn't my favorite conversation, but I, I don't mind how they handle it in a they are literally driven to take from others. Their hunger is not just a hunger for blood, it's a hunger for possession, for how everyone feels the need to connect, and that's how they connect. Because as we know, sometimes in some episodes, as we know, they experience life through another person's blood. So the addiction isn't necessarily to the blood itself, it's to the life inside the the human connection. The human connection. And if you kind of think of it that way, it gets a little bit less creepy. Creepy? That's a good word for it, maybe. Weird that Nick is like full on turned on by this conversation. So turned on, in fact, that this is when oh, he this calls is Jeanette. When he calls. Okay. Yes, this is when he calls Jeanette. He goes out to his car, he sits there for a minute, and then he's like, fuck it. He just gets out his phone, and we hear him call, and we hear the Raven. And then we get some. Hot riverside nookie is what we get because he shows up at the riverside and Jeanette's just standing looking at the skyline. Waiting. And, oh, he is. The first time he is. He's waiting and she shows up because he turns around and his eyes are already orange and he's like, Jeanette. (laughs) Both of their eyes are like, are lit. And Jeanette's like, hey, baby, you called? And he's like, get over here. But there's no foreplay. She literally just walks up and he just... Is like, hey, sup, and then bites her. And she's like, it's cool. I'm here for this. This is this is just hot riverside nookie. This is not an intimate moment. This is not pillow talk. This is just, I have a need. You can help me with this need. Let's get this. And done. then he apologizes for using her. I like it when you need me. 
I'm sorry I used you. And I you? We have needs, Nicola. Just as mortals do. Yeah. She's like, I like it when you need me. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I used you. She's like, fuck you. I used you too. What did you think this was? <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, well, the light is coming up. Do you want to come spend the day with me? You can, we can spend the day together. It'll be great. And he's like, no. Can't it be like it was just for a little while? And Nick is like, no, I, I got to. I got to work. I got to go wash my hair. <laughs> I have to work. I'm sorry. Deborah Duchesne just asked you to come back and spend the day with her. You do not say no to Deborah. Look at that face. Didn't you see her last episode when she finally had her hair back the way we liked it in season one? I mean, come on. But no, work is priority. You know what? It's just guilt. It's the like, ah, oh, crap, I shouldn't have given in. The Puritan in. guilt. Yeah, I shouldn't have given in. I shouldn't have let myself have that moment. Even though no one was harmed and all parties enjoyed the act, I shouldn't have let myself do it. Well, I don't know. That gets into deeper discussion about sex and shame and the idea of pleasure as something that's as not. As a vice. As a vice rather than something that is physically necessary. And that's not, this isn't the place for that. This is a horny vampire show right now. We're not having that conversation. <laughs> and so he shows up at the morgue, shamelessly fucking shows up at the morgue because he's still wearing the clothes he was wearing when he and Jeanette had their hot Riverside nookie, which means he got in the car. He literally stopped off for a quickie. He got in the car and drove back over to the morgue. And he's like, hey, Nellie, how are you doing? And she's like, oh, hi, Nick. You having a good day? And he's like, oh, you know, it's okay. <laughs> but they have a brief conversation because she's looking at like waterlogged lung tissue or something. And he's like, okay, how about the actual serial killer who's on the loose? Are we doing the, are we doing the forensics on that, Natalie? And she's like, oh, yeah, I think it's around here somewhere. She's like, yeah, you know, Aaron was sexually assaulted, but actually Whitney David was not. And since we know from Peter Barlow's M.O. that actually the sex act is more important than the killing. Right. So it's very unlikely that he killed her without sexually assaulting her. So. So maybe. Strong support for maybe somebody else killed Whitney. And maybe the coincidental escape of a serial killer was a cover-up. Huh. Yeah, because Nick is like, hang on, I think there's a piece I'm missing here. I'm, You know, Dr. Silman was treating them both. Hmm. Maybe he's connected in some way. And so he goes back to the hospital. And, well, not quite yet, but we, we cut back to the hospital because we see Dr. Shauna, and she's working with this woman named Robin. And Dr. Shauna is there really late. What time is it? Because we've had time to investigate the murder. There's been another murder. Nick had time to stop off and have hot vampire sex with Jeanette. I'm, after he met with Shauna. After he met with Shauna. And then he came back, and then back again. So it must be like one or two in the morning. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're going to get into another dead air debate where we can't figure out what timeline is for anything. So we'll just leave it. Please see previous episode about how important it is to suspend disbelief about the timeline that everybody seems to work on. So this is when we get kind of our revelation that like the killer, the killing mind is predictable. 
It may be violent. It may be explosive, but it's predictable. And, you know, the fact that a killer who kills will kill again and often for the exact same reason. And this belief actually pushes Nick back into his flashback again because poor Amalia, poor this actress, just got dressed up in different dresses and had to like heave her bosom and present her neck to Garrett Wynn Davies probably for like an hour on set. Okay, now go get changed, do it again. Okay, now go get changed, do it again. Because he comes back and she's like, oh, just take me. It's fine. Take all of me. I'd rather die in your arms than, than get married to my cousin and die of syphilis. Because it's like the Middle Ages. Right. And he's he's like, oh, I can't. I just, I can't. And so he ends up, you know, feeding on her and she passes out. And in this one, um, he's taken her in and like laid her down. And he comes out and this is where all of his buttons are undone. Yes. Yeah. And LaCroix shows up. <laughs> And LaCroix's like, Nicholas, why are you mad? And Nicholas is like, oh, I'm just really sad. I don't want anything to happen to Amalia. And LaCroix's like, okay, hang on. So you have a hot chick who is hot for you, who likes it when you bite her, who is asking you to kill her. I honestly don't see the problem here. It really feels like you've got a you're pretty livering sweet the, You're living the dream. You're right living now. the dream right now, man. What, why, what are you crying about? You think? Mm. You have found a ravenous beauty. A mortal who makes love to you and wants you to possess her totally. Who will happily die in your arms, drain. I'm afraid I don't see the problem. And Nick is like, well, I don't want to kill her. And Nick's like, oh, I see, because... You want to possess her, but you also want to kill her, but you can't possess your cake and eat it too. Like, once you <laughs> kill her, she's gone. Or you turn her into a vampire, and then she's also gone. So the only way you can continue this is by not not going all the way, but you're so hungry for her, you're bound to do it anyway. And he's like, ugh. You know, possession is destruction. We get to find hot chicks. We get to eat hot chicks. It's a it's a good life. It's a great life, isn't it, Nick? And Nick is like, will it ever end? And LaCroix's like, uh, no. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. You get an eternity. Eternal, eternal life. Or what does he say? Eternal life and eternal pleasure. Yeah. And he's like, but it never ends. He goes, no, of course not. That's the best part. Like we get to... He's oh, what does he say? It's like um, if that's hell, I'll gladly burn in it. Or like if this is our hell, I bear it gladly. Like, of course, I don't care. This is what I'm here for. I do that all the time. You know, find a hot lady, keep her on the hook for a little while, just kill her tonight. Whatever you want to do, man, you do you. You just live your life. And Nick is like, God damn it, how long am I going to have to spend listening to you? Spoiler alert: like another seven hundred years. But they go to the hospital because now they're like, okay, we know Peter Barlow kills for the same reasons over and over again. And he's killed two women he would have had interactions with at the Institute. So maybe he's going to kill someone else he's had an interaction with. And Skanky, Skanky has a like Southern accent. And he tries to do like a dogged determination is what's going to solve this oh, case. Yeah, the, the nurse at the desk <laughs> yeah. when they're watching the security And the footage. nurse is like, 
Uh, totally not entertained. No, she can smell Spaganky's own special brand of bullshit. She is not here for it. Maybe she has flashbacks to that one episode where he tried to get into the records and he was so rude the lady wouldn't let him have the records. <laughs> Come to think of it, that wasn't that at a psychiatric hospital? Maybe it's Because that was one. dead air. Yeah, that was the one where she refused to let him use the computer and he ended up sneaking in and using the computer anyway. And maybe maybe his word has gotten around about Skanky. But they do end up getting the tapes and they find the moment where he like attacked that woman in the hospital at the very beginning. And we find out that that was Michelle Parker. And it's very likely that if she's not next, she's soon. So they give her a call and they try to get to her. And this is when we're like, I love when we zoom in on the wheel of the Cadillac and we just hear wheel screeching sounds like it's turning really fast. Yeah. And they're riding in in the car and it's clearly a green screen. And there's actually a funny blooper where they're in the car with the green screen and it does the go to hyperspace (laughs) from Star Wars and Skanky and, and, uh, sorry, Don and Gare do the like, ooh, or they throw their head back. I think about that every time we use the green screen. But he's driving along. They're trying to get to this woman before Peter Barlow gets to this woman because Nick has wasted a lot of time literally dicking around. And so now they need to go rescue this woman. Would it be dicking around or fanging around? Fanging around. Fanging around. This is one giant porn episode, so I don't know. However you want to phrase it, you just go with it. And so Nick is hearing her screaming as they're driving. And then he sees everything in this red light, which is like his night vision. And I have to ask the question, can he tell the color of streetlights when he's using this? <laughs> or does he have to do the red-green colorblind trick where you just remember what order the lights go in? The position. Yeah. yeah. This is a relevant question. It's red. He's seeing everything in red light. When you wear rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. But this is the part where we get to the... <laughs> We get to the apartment and they like screech to a stop in front of the apartment and Nick literally hops out and goes, I'm going around back. I'll go around back. You take the front. I'll go around back. Maybe for once I will go around back. <laughs> and Skanky goes, I want to go around. Next time, I'm going around. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to go around back. I'm going to be the one that goes around back. And so Skanky, of course, is going up the regular way. And then we're cutting into the apartment. We're seeing Peter Barlow. And Peter Barlow's knocked down the door. And he's after this woman. And she's screaming, which is what Nick has been hearing. And she locks herself in this bedroom. <laughs> and Nick just pops up behind her which is his traditional method of entering a woman's apartment. The front door is for chumps. Balconies and windows is where it's at. So he's got plenty, plenty, plenty of experience doing this. But honest to God, if there is a serial killer banging on the door trying to get into a room with me. (laughs) And then somebody pats me on the shoulder. somebody pats me on the shoulder. (laughs) I would lose my fucking shit. I'd be like, oh my God. But luckily he has his police badge. Not enough. Not enough. (laughs) I am in my apartment. I think I'm alone in my apartment. And a safe serial, in a locked safe room. Safe in a locked room. And a serial killer just broke down my door, chased me into this room, and then there's someone in the room with me. <laughs> I would have I would just die. I would just die. It'd be like, you know, you know, in like a Victorian drama where they just faint? That. Except death. 
because I don't care how just, many. Just a little death. Just <laughs> no, not God. Why? <laughs> I just don't think that there's a world where this woman turns around and goes, oh, thank God, mysterious stranger who got into this room. We don't even know if there's windows. We don't pan around. Maybe he right, broke That's my the- favorite part about this is that there are no, we don't see any of the other walls in Maybe this room. Maybe he broke through the, broke through the wall like, I'm the, guessing like it's the Kool-Aid a, man. I'm guessing it's like a set, an apartment room well, of course set. it's a set. So yeah. there are no other walls, so we can't, you know, look around. Her apartment light was a like a an umbrella light turned towards the corner. Like oh yeah, a photographer's like, like light. the the diffusion light. Yeah, and when they yeah. throw the vase against the wall, there's clearly like scaffolding on the one side. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I I don't know. Did he knock down the wall like the Kool Aid Man? Did he do the thing? <laughs> did he do the thing like from Cherry Blossoms where he came in a window below and then he flew straight up through the floors to get up to her? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is the most unrealistic part of this entire episode is that this woman does not lose her shit when he sneaks up behind her, including the fangs and the existence of vampires. All of that is lesser in terms of things I don't believe than the fact that this woman didn't lose her shit. No woman holds their shit together when there's two mysterious strangers in their apartment. Okay, maybe if you're like a kung fu professional and you know you've got this handled. Well, maybe maybe she was just having trouble reacting because we do know that she's one of the emotionally challenged. I can't. We're not. Ha- nope. Okay. So then Skanky breaks in the door. Skanky apparently has knocked out Peter Barlow, arrested Peter Barlow, subdued Peter Barlow. And the door opens and Skanky bursts in and Nick is with, oh no, Nick gets Peter Barlow. Nick yeah, opens Nick, the door and Nick grabs him. Nick has Peter yeah. Barlow. Sorry. I was so distracted the wall. <laughs> in this part. I was just like, that's not. Nope. I totally forgot what happened next. So Nick gets Peter Barlow, has him pinned against the wall. Skanky runs in because of course Skanky had to take the elevator. And Nick is not only already in the apartment after having, quote, gone around, he has captured this guy. And Skanky's look of like, fucking always. Yeah. It's like, again? Again? How the heck did he get up here? What is going on? Skanky knows how he got up there. Yeah. He does. He knows. That's why he's like, damn it. Why does my partner have to be a literal superhero? And then we cut to the precinct because we're interrogating Peter Barlow. This man is a known predator who loses his ever-loving mind around women. Why is there a female cop in the interrogation room? And why is Cohen handling the interrogation? This isn't even her case. You are not like an investigator. You're not a cop. Yeah. Right. Why are you in here interfering in Nick and Skanky's job? Skanky's already got enough of Nick swooping in and going around. He doesn't need Cohen in there stealing that from him, too. Because Skanky's not even asking questions. It's Nick and Cohen. And Nick is like, hey, what about Whitney David, huh? And Peter Barlow's like, yeah, I killed her. And he's like, yeah, you tied her to the tree. He's like, yeah, do you like my special touch? Tell me, did she have that look on her face like she was shocked about what I just done to her? 
And Nick's like, we're done here. Thanks. And so he leaves because that wasn't true. He didn't, she didn't, she wasn't she was tied, never to, tied a tree. to a tree. Yeah. Um, this is usually why they don't give out a ton of information with cases. If you ever feel like they're not giving out information, this is why. Because you can catch people by just having them give you incorrect details. So that's, you know, that's actually a little, a good bit of police work that Nick did just there. Hey. Yeah, that was, that it's, was hey. It's hey, because he, hey, he got he some did. time with Jeanette. He got a, a physical release. He's feeling calm, he, collected, focused. Clear mind. Yeah. For the first time in a long time, because this is, they do a lot of police work in this episode. He asks pertinent questions. He doesn't fuck off and use flashback information to fill in the gaps. He actually finds information, uses it to extrapolate a pattern, uses that pattern to catch the bad guy. Hey, we did some real police work. I think we should just give them both. Good job, Nick. Good job. It wasn't just skanky this time. Nick did it too. <laughs> Maybe he was, yeah. yeah. And then back at the hospital, the psychiatric yeah. institute, whatever, um, it's Nick that notices, hey, uh, Dr. Welsh is rescinding a lot of release orders. What's going on with that? Yeah, is that like a thing that happens? Is that a... And the nurse is like, well, sometimes, although to, now that you mention it, yeah, that's happened a lot more in the last couple of months. It's, yeah. Since Peter Barlow's been here. No, it doesn't think it has anything to do with oh, Peter. I, th I, thought, um, I thought the whole implication at the end was that she had kind of been contaminated by Peter Barlow. Oh, maybe. And his killing. Natalie just says it's not uncommon for psychiatrists to take on the illnesses of their patients. Which, what? Um... I've literally never heard of this. <laughs> what? Uh, I think maybe if you're on, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't go to therapy. I don't know anything about that. I don't have anything against therapy. I think therapy is super important. I just don't personally have I a feel therapist. like if you told that to somebody with a mental illness that was very anxious and you said, oh, you know, psychiatrists can sometimes, you know, take on the illnesses of their patients. Yeah. Be like. Well, shit, I can't go to see a therapist then because I'm, gonna, I'm going to infect them with it. I didn't it. know I was contagious. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent point, Matthew. That is a good way to drive people away from therapists. If you're like, I don't want other people to get sick. What right. if I make them sick too? Yeah, I don't think that. I think that's a 90s uh, way of wrapping uh, up. Yeah, I think that was I, just I a know. throwaway line for Natalie's character. Yeah, and... I think we could have just had... Uh, Shauna be a little bit, you know, a little bit loony bin, <laughs> a little bit, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> I just channeling, I have my context lenses on, okay? Uh, we could have just had her be emotionally disturbed in some fundamental way that has only recently become apparent. And because physician cannot heal thyself, she didn't realize what was going on. And apparently nobody else around her did because Dr. Silman is on vacay. Yeah. Yeah. But in while all of this is happening, the Robin and Shauna thing is still happening. And we've gone from we're talking in the office to we're talking in Robin's room and Robin's and like insisting. Snuggling. Yeah. Robin's yeah. insisting she wants to leave. And then Robin is like getting ready to go to bed and Sean is like, well, no, if you want to leave, we'll leave now. Let's go. Come on. I'll take you home. 
It's so important to you. We'll just do it right now. And so they leave. And Nick has a bit of a flashback. Um, just to kind of wrap up our flashback for us. And this is where he has killed Amalia. He has tried to stay away in order to save her. And he couldn't help himself. But she keeps himself. coming to him. Well, no, he finally can't help himself. He says that to Jeanette. He's like, I have to control it. I have to rein this in. I have to keep well, my... In, in all of the Nick Amalia scenes... Yeah. He's standing there and she has snuck away to get to him. Right. But let's not victim shame her. I'm not victim shaming her. I'm okay. just saying she comes to him and like he's there. Well, he probably calls the, her out. In the meeting place. Okay. Yeah, he probably calls her out and she comes out. It's not like she sneaks out every night on the off chance. How would you like to explain how this is happening? Oh, I'm I'm just describing it as she comes out to him and then you keep correcting me. Yeah, I mean, she does come out to him, but I think if we phrase it as she is the one coming to him over and over again. Right, because he's enthralled her. Yeah, he has enthralled right. her. Yes. Ultimately, I'm, I want to make sure we're clear that ultimately this is his fault. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. offer herself up as a sacrifice. She is gaslit into believing that it will be an act of love to die for him. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just. Okay. I just wanted to be clear on the more physical who actions. the victim in this is because yeah. this is a sexual assault episode. Yeah. So language is super important about who we refer to and how we talk about people coming to people. Often in a often in a situation where a woman is being victim shamed, that's the language that you use. Okay. Well, she was going to him. She knew he, he was obviously there waiting for her. Yeah. He was outside. Yeah. She went outside. She knew he was outside. If she didn't want to get sexually assaulted, she shouldn't have gone outside. Well, no, a woman should be able to leave the house without worrying about whether the guy standing outside is going to sexually assault her or not. But often she's portrayed as the victim because she could have avoided the situation by staying indoors, dressing modestly, locking herself away, making sure no one ever saw her. So I do, that's why I wanted to make sure okay. we were clear. Yeah. Okay. But he has finally killed her. And of course, LaCroix shows up, which to me says, LaCroix was watching. Oh, yeah. We even see, like, one of the scenes where he bites her, the camera pans up, and LaCroix is like... Smile just gets real yes. big. Like, yeah. Which means he's watching Nicholas have sex. That's what he is doing. And he's like, good job, Nicholas. Yes. Just like I showed you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem with conflating it with sex is the metaphor can go as far as you want it to go. But anyway, LaCroix got done sitting for his portrait. Um, and then he <laughs> came over and he decided to... To uh, harsh Nicholas Mello, because Nicholas is like simultaneously upset about what he did, but also um, appeased temporarily because he has met that momentary need for connection and physical release. But Lacroix's like, you already feel it again, don't you? Like, you already feel it. You're already thinking again. about the next one. Yeah. And that's how it's going to be forever. You're just going to, you get one, you want the next one, you get that one, then you want the next one. It's like, uh, what's the one you, can, you can't eat just one? Was that Lay's? Data chips? Yeah, I think so. But yeah. I was thinking also Sisyphus. 
Oh, well, you could also think Sisyphus. I'll think Lay's potato chips. You think Sisyphus. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I want to know this metaphor, too. What? Sisyphus oh, the boulder pushing up the, the boulder up the hill. Yeah. Yeah, except in a pleasurable sense. Like, if you really fucking loved pushing that boulder up the hill. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a uh, philosopher once said that one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Why? Why, Why must one imagine Sisyphus uh, happy? There, there's a whole like book on it. I read a summary at one point, but oh. I can't. I can't paraphrase it. That's fine. Off the top of my head. So yes, if Nick <laughs> is Sisyphus in this situation, the, pushing the boulder is a pleasurable experience. Lacroix is telling him to enjoy the experience. Yeah, he's like love the learn to love the boulder. Is what he's saying. Feel it already, don't you? Already your thoughts are strayed from her to the next. Where will you find her? How will you take her? All at once, a little at a time. I can see it in your eyes, Nicholas. Can there be any finer thing than this? Eternal hunger, followed by eternal pleasure. If this is our prison, let us rot for all eternity. And but we're at the institute after he comes back from his flashback, and Doctor Welsh and Robin are missing. And I love this line because he's like, "Does the doctor have a pager?" And she's like, "Of course, all the doctors have pagers." And he's like, "Great pager, <laughs> beep beep. Can you send a message to her? Beep beep." <laughs> and so they put out an APB on her car. And they send a message to her pager, which, of course, she doesn't have because she's off doing nefarious deeds. she just doesn't call the number that's on her pager. Right. And Nick is like, okay, find out the make and model of her car. Give a call to me when you find it. Like, I'm going. And Skanky's like, where are you going? And he's like, uh, around. Around. <laughs> I was Skanky's... waiting for, for him to say around. He but... does. I think he says, I'm just going to go find her or whatever. But it's enough. Skanky figures it out because he picks up the phone. And he's like, listen up. This is Skanky. <laughs> Which I thought that was really funny. He's just like, this is Skanky. I have orders. And everyone's like, yes, sir. Skanky, sir. So he gets the make and model, which is like a late model red Mercedes, whatever. And he ends up using his sonar, his bat sonar to locate her because he's like flying around. And we always get this. They go to the rooftop and they listen or whatever, where they they sort out the myriad of information that they can get. And they can like pinpoint their location based on the sound. So he finds them that way. And we get this like whiz through the woods scene where we like yeah, go like really down a fast. Trail. Yeah. Yeah. And then he pops out at the other end because Robin and Shauna have been walking and Shauna's like, listen, I'm going to take your pain away. It's all going to be fine. Like, we're going to be together forever because I'm going to possess you by killing you. And she pulls out a syringe. And that's when Nick shows up. And Shauna doesn't even hesitate. She's like, cool. She knows what's up. So she just kills herself, injects herself. And as Nick catches her as she falls, she's like, I see you know it well. And he's like, what? What do I know well? And she's like, the murdering mind. <laughs> um, and that's kind of it. I mean, we get a little bit more flashback. And then this is the part where LaCroix says, if this is our prison, let us rot in it for all eternity. <laughs> he's like, hell Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I don't want to go to heaven. That's where all the boring people are. That's LaCroix's philosophy. 
I'd literally rather live here in sin for all of eternity than be than risk being bored doing anything else. <laughs> and then we get a wrap up with Natalie because Natalie shows up at the crime scene and she's kind of talking to Nick to get his feelings on this. And Nick has been trying to be open with Natalie over the last couple of episodes where he'll tell her, like, no, you don't get it. He'll I, voice his struggles to her. He's like, I get what's happening here. I... I you don't understand. I, I know what the, that felt like. I completely understand what Peter and Shauna felt, Natalie. I also feel that drive to kill and possess. Get it? And Natalie's like, yeah, but you don't feel that anymore. And Nick's like, hmm, yeah. Yep. Oh, actually, Natalie tells him, those are needs you no longer have. Yeah, Natalie literally tells him, but that's not you anymore. And Nick right? is like... And so this this is a a common thing in how people communicate Yeah, where you make a statement about how someone else is feeling or what they are thinking, and it invalidates their ability to actually contribute to the conversation. Right. Because for her to say that... He either needs to suppress it or deny what she just said. Yeah, he has to make himself a liar or make her a liar. Right. Yeah. And so he makes himself a liar. Yeah, he's like, hmm, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And so now they're not having a dialogue anymore. Right. She could have said, do you still feel that way? What can we do about it? But instead she's like, no, you don't. How presumptuous of you, Wow, Natalie. Natalie. You thought he had some milkshakes and sat in a tanning bed, and now he no longer wants to kill people? That's pretty fucking great of you. Also that he's a man and he doesn't have any kind of physical intimacy needs. A man who has a clear pattern of in the past having needed physical intimacy. That just went away. For 800 years. For, yeah, 800 years of fucking around the world. Eating women's faces. <laughs> I was about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> you thought the makeout king had gone into early retirement? Think again, Natalie. Because he has a brief moment with Skanky. Skanky comes over and he's like, look, I'm out of here. Like, I, I, I've bought the farm. Elvis has left the building. I'm exhausted. I'm going to head home. And Nick's like, hey, you could take my car home. Here you go. And he tosses in the keys. And Skanky's like, well, where are you going to be? And Nick goes, busy. <sighs> I am out of here. I'm history, that's all she wrote. Not only is a fat lady sung, but she's left the theater with Elvis. <laughs> it's about time for a little bed and brekkie, huh? Skank, do me a favor, will you? Will you take the car back to the precinct? I'll pick it up later. And you'll be? Busy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then... This is when he goes to the riverside and Jeanette is waiting for him because Jeanette has sensed a chink in his armor. She thought she'd lost him. He'd been gone for a while. But now they're reconnecting. Now they are reconnecting. And Jeanette's like, where do you need me to go? I'll be there right now. Hang on. Just hold. I'll be right there. So she's waiting for him. So she does the like turn around and take the hood off, but she's wearing like a cloak, but she's got like a nightie on underneath. It's right. like, a, <laughs> it's like a spaghetti strap dress with a um, mid thigh length. Yeah. And I thought of this as the 
hunt, pounce, kill method because he walks up and then he like hovers his mouth near her mouth and he's just like, help! (laughs) 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 And that's, we leave, we entered with sex and we leave with sex. And that's the end of the episode. Of the, if not the horniest episode, one of the most horny episodes. This felt like, hey guys, it's sweeps week. We need to get some ratings. I think we finally need to talk about sex and orgasms and possession. That would be interesting to see if this was, if this episode aired around a time when they were really just trying to get ratings up like sweeps week. Interestingly, season two is one of those ones you can actually get some pretty detailed information about when it was released because it's the one that was all filmed ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And when they aired it, they aired it out of order. So okay. people tracked when it was aired out of order and then put it back into production order. So you can find some comparisons side by side. Like, oh, this one aired close to Valentine's Day, but it was actually supposed to air here and that kind of stuff. But I don't know because it would depend on when Sweeps Week were that particular year. But yeah, it really feels like a hook episode. Like if you haven't been, if you haven't been in or we've lost you, like if the Vietnam episode lost you, welcome back. If the Father's Day episode lost you, welcome back. Because we had a couple, I mean, we had a couple, they're all good, but we had a couple, you know, it was okay. It was all right. We had a couple of all right episodes. And so I think they were like, okay, we need to really, we need to, we need there's to hit not him over enough the head. horny vampire action. Yeah, we, we got- need to throw some of that in there. <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, oh, you want an entire episode of horny vampire action? No, no, wait, that's not what we said. Oh, it's already done. It's already done. You Sorry, can't stop fucking it now. finished. You don't get it. You don't get to take it back. No take backsies. <laughs> we already made it. Yeah. Well, you know what? We had gone light on vampire. We'd gone vampire light. We'd been trickling off. You know, there's whole yeah. season, there's whole episodes in season one where we get no vampire action. And we've done a little bit. We get him flying to get places. That's probably our most used power. But we haven't done a lot of, you know, growling, snarling, being a vampire and doing vampire shit. And we certainly haven't had any, like, um, eating people in the present in a situation that is not violent. In like a, hmm. Because remember we got in last act, we got the vampire sex scene where they bit each other. It was in the past. It was right after they had their onstage performance. And she was like, I like it when you run me through with your sword. And he was like, I can run you through with something else again and again and again. Um, We hadn't had any like hot vampire nookie since season one. So they were like, well, we're on a new network. We're at a later time. We've got new rules. We're definitely not pushing the pushing the rules in the way we could be. So let's see how close we can get to actually having sex on screen in the 90s. I mean, this is not True Blood era. Oh, I guess True Blood airs about 10 years after this, where we just got straight. I mean. Well, and that was on like HBO, HBO or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think this one aired on CBS or ABC. I don't know. It was a major network. So what did you think of this episode? I thought you'd like this one because you've been waiting for Jeanette and Nick to get together for 30 some episodes. It's been a long courtship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we've 
had head cannon that you know, they get together on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah. Um, but I think this is the first like explicitly stated. I guess even here he's not explicitly stating well, they that don't they talk. spend the day together. Right. <laughs> yeah. But okay, yes, they are going to have an extended intimate engagement. Yes, intimate engagement. That's a very delicate way of putting it. Now I have a question. If we had gotten this scene in season one when we were at the height of the Nick Jeanette fuck me energy. Do you think that enhances the fuck me energy or do you think actually seeing them would have like, okay, well they did it. So. Oh yeah. Because it's not about whether they did the deed yeah, or whether they're just so thirsty for each other all the time. (laughs) So thirsty. (laughs) Right. It's that they are doing the deed regularly yeah. and they're still so thirsty for each other. Right. It's the Gomez Adams and Morticia yes. premise. Yes. yes. That's, that's the, the vibes that I really liked from season one. Right. We are so in love with each other. We literally could fuck each other right now. Right yeah. now. In this I bet moment. It, I bet it was in the screenplay directions of Forever Night, just like it was in the screenplay directions. Maybe this was for... an attempt. I, I hear you. Adam's family. Maybe this was an attempt to recapture that energy, rekindle that energy. Yeah. Because we've settled into long-term, like, life mates who used to be intimate. Yeah. Energy. Like, we we know where, we know what to do with each other's bodies, but we don't have access to them anymore. So we just have this weird tension of, like, friendship, which could at any moment turn back into that, but isn't that right now. And this was sort of a, push it back over the edge, back into we want each other so intensely, it's literally an addiction. Right. And for Nick, I think it feels like Jeanette is the only option because she's the only one that he's not going to kill accidentally. Well, look what happened when he tried to talk to Natalie about it. He was like, Natalie, I have needs. And she was like, no, you don't. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking vampire. of, like, if he was He can't to, hurt her. Right. If yeah. he was to pursue Natalie, he could accidentally kill Natalie. Right. Because. Well, Jeanette says <laughs> uh, that, doesn't she? Because, yeah. Uh, well, what was the one line? That would, it's about making your partner lose control. Yeah. And so he can't, like, fully commit to the experience because... He can't let himself lose control unless it's Jeanette. Yeah. Because no matter what he does, he's not going to be able to kill her. Right. Yeah. When he loses control. Yeah. And she says that, doesn't she? She's, he says, I have to control it. And she goes, not with me. Right. Like, I can handle but it. But then he still feels guilty that... He feels like he always has to have this control clamped down. Yeah. And then, oh, here's this safe place for me to let go of that. Right. But he's become so habituated to always having that control locked down that any release of it generates guilt. Right. Yeah. And I do like that. I like the way it's framed in this episode. The I can't control myself. I read a lot of books with like Kate and Hannah where we get a lot of male characters that 
can't control themselves. They're so physically attracted to this woman that it's almost painful to not be fucking her at any given moment. And I get a little, I get tired of that because I don't believe it. I don't believe that you can't physically master yourself as a way of respecting the people around you. Right. And if you, if you are unable to master yourself in any way, are you even worth like being in a partnership? And it's supposed to show overwhelming attraction. I get where they're going with it, but I don't like that portrayal because I, I think story shapes culture. And I think it's super important to be careful about what you portray in stories as desirable. Like if a man tells you, I'm sorry, I, I can't seem to stop touching you because I can't control myself. I'm so attracted to you. That's super toxic. It's super toxic. And it's a way of manipulating you into doing something maybe you don't want to do because you're like, well, he's only doing it because I'm so attractive. I'm doing this. It's my physical attraction that is causing him to act this way. My physical right, and attractiveness. And me withholding is literally causing him pain. Right. And I don't want to do that. So, okay, I'll give in. Like, that's, that is a common manipula manipulation technique. But in this instance, I don't mind it. And I think I don't because he finds someone that will not be harmed by his momentary lapse of control. Right. And he is open about it. He's like, I have to control this. I am so sorry. And she's like, no, I literally don't care. Like, I, I want you to lose control with me. In fact, if you want to do this on a more regular basis, you just call me and it's fine. So this is a totally consensual encounter. And I think that's why I don't mind the way it's well, the way it's framed. Right. Because it's like it's not just a sexual need. This is like a part of myself. I am biologically different. Nick is literally a vampire. He has needs, wants and desires that are above and beyond just being a horny dude. And he's he has to control so many different levels of his own needs, wants, and desires at any given point that it's important for him to have a release valve. And Jeanette is like, I'm it. Call me up anytime. Uh, if it's day, I don't care. I'll figure out how to get to you. I am here for you. And I think that's why I don't mind. Um, I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. The like... I can't control myself is generally, I think, toxic. But in this situation, I liked well, the way they framed it. The really toxic part is I recognize that I have trouble controlling myself. So I'm going to barely try to control myself. Well, I think it's by you're forcing a partner who would otherwise say no. Right. You're, you're using it you're as a manipulation using that technique. As, as a way to get them to do what you want. Yeah. Whereas Nick is like, no, I can't control myself. Don't like stay away from me. Right. And it's Jeanette like, no, I'm, I'm reassuring you that. Yeah. Jeanette's like, yes, like, always. I care yes. for you. I am a safe space for you. Yeah. If that's the concern, let me reassure you. Yeah. yeah. That it's always, yes. You didn't talk me into anything. Right. I wouldn't have shown up if I didn't want to do it. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah. Now that we've, we've, this was a, you know, I mean, I don't know if this was a way of talking about, no, it's not because there's no way we were having a dialogue about sexual assault and the effect of sexual violence while making Nick clearly a past sexual predator. <laughs>
I don't, that would, that, you know what, the twisty, turny 90s logic of this is one of those things that we just keep, don't try to untangle it, just don't. The deeper you get into it, the more problematic it gets. So just stay on the surface where it is a, a brief glimpse at a horny Nick. And then whoop, we'll just move on with our lives because, of course, we're not going to reference any of this shit again. It's just going to disappear into the horizon, never to be talked about again. Yep. Suspension of disbelief. Suspension of disbelief. So now you can take your context lenses off and we can go back to using good language about people who have mental differences. And we can go back to... Whatever, I don't know. I just don't, anything that this taught you about the nature of like sex and possession and death and control of your partner, just forget. Okay. Drop it all. It's all gone. <laughs> none of it, none of it works in real life. It, it's some very effective rhetoric. Yeah. That a serial killer would spout when they're trying to just mess with a psychiatrist. Yes. At the very beginning, it's believable. And then we carry that through as like a question. Is this true? Through the whole episode. And right. No, or is he no. literally just bullshitting everybody? Yes. Yeah. So until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. Bye.